It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren. We got such a great guest tonight, Dr. Daryl Bach, and he has a book called How Would Jesus Vote? Do Your Political Positions Really Align with the Bible? And just to let you know, uh, Dr. Bach's acumen, he's a research professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. And he also serves as professor for spiritual development and culture for the seminary's career or center for Christian leadership. Welcome to the program, sir. Pleasure, and I've had a change. I'm now executive director for cultural engagement at the center, so that's actually where I spend the bulk of my time now. Amen. And, you know, I, our audience should know that you really up the ante when it comes to the podcast. You have some great guests on your particular program. Yes, it's called The Table. You can uh, access it at uh, dts.edu slash the table. That's all one word. And we cover just about anything uh, under the sun when it comes to issues related to God and culture. Yes, and some major leading guests as well. So your book, just like Neon Lights, hit me when I was at the bookstore, and I'm sure a lot of people too. How would Jesus vote? I mean, this is a very timely subject. And would you believe, you know, we're still talking about the vote now, even days after the election? That's right. And the book is not so much who would Jesus vote for, but really how one should approach the issues and think through the relationship of the way our nation is structured in relationship to those issues so that uh, so that people kind of have a way of thinking about how to even enter into dialogue on political issues that has become so divisive in our in our current culture. Yes. And, you know, I got that from just looking at the title. But some people have given you a hard time as if, you know, smoke and mirrors. And at the end, we don't find out how Jesus voted. I think that's unfair. <laughs> Yeah, well, we tried to be clear from the very beginning what we were and were not doing and saying, and sometimes people don't get past the title, but it's a reflection <laughs> of the soundbite mentality that often exists in our culture today, which yes. doesn't look past the surface and down into the details of what someone's trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I have right in front of me the table of contents, and you cover a lot. And actually, you know, I, I imagine a lot of research kind of went into this. I was going to ask if the theology was more difficult or all the uh, different uh, things like you have here, uh, the character of society, self-defense or restraint. You know, you're talking about guns and health care. And uh, how much of a stretch was this? Uh, did it open your eyes, the new uh, revelations about the society we live in? Well, yeah, the the bulk of the theology was kind of already in place, and searching for at least the principles that are involved in looking for things are um, involved mostly texts I'm familiar with. But uh, doing kind of the nitty-gritty work on the nature of the issues and the way in which they unfolded uh, was pretty important. I mean, at one example would be um, the discussion on immigration and going through the history of our immigration laws and what we have and haven't done and the way we structure them and the way they've worked in the past versus what we have now, uh, all that was uh, all new and, and actually pretty revealing to showing the complexity of the problem. Yes. And don't you have a new section, uh, an addendum on, on recounts and votes? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet, but you never know. Yeah, you never know. I mean, especially if the, if the recount ends up you know, shaking up, shaking up what we think is going on. Boy, <laughs> will that produce a whole new publication industry? That's part two. That's the part two right here. <laughs> but I didn't see any other book on the bookshelf like this. Again, how would Jesus vote? And uh, I mean, 
How difficult is this kind of situation? Because there are all these different commercials, and you're right. We're in an age where the soundbite is number one. I would imagine that Christians aren't always sure on keeping the biblical lens in lieu of who they're voting for, because we can easily be swayed by all these uh, ads uh, for, you know, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I think the issue here is distinguishing between what I would describe as civil religion and uh, and biblical or gospel values. Uh, Civil religion is religion that serves the role of nation or nationalism in one way or another that that uh, is kind of God and country, although sometimes it comes out as country and God in the reverse order, uh, whereas gospel values are those real biblical standards. So just to illustrate, I think, with a simple example, you know, a lot of people think that the right to own guns is a biblical right. But, of course, guns didn't even exist when the Bible was written. Uh, the issue has to do, if you're going to assess it biblically and ethically, has to do with the use of violence and force and that kind of thing, which the scripture does discuss and treat, but it's not a straightforward endorsement of the Second Amendment or the NRA. That's something that we have culturally decided is a part of how we live. Uh, that's likely not changing, but to say that the NRA is a, is a God, uh, and the right to a gun is a God-given right probably overexpresses uh, at least uh, the complexity of what that issue represents. Yes. And what about the wheat and the tares and let them all just grow together? I'm just kidding. When I think of when we have, um, you know, illegal immigration, if you will, uh, and the Lord, as you say, is very sensitive to, you know, appreciating the foreigner and the, the alien and welcoming them. And of course, that's what you know, a civil society does. But what about when you get situations when people come over and you have uh, criminals that are coming over and things like that. It's, it seems like it's not always black and white, is it? No, it's layered. And, and appreciating the layers and how to sort them out is part of what the book's about. The key argument of the book is that most issues that we debate politically um, are a reflection of competing biblical values. And by that, I mean we live in a fallen world, in a fallen and flawed world, Um, You have values that sometimes come against one another, and it's the better part of wisdom to ask yourself, how do we balance out these things that are in tension? So, for example, in immigration, you know, a nation has a right to a rule of law. It has an expectation that its laws should uh, be followed. It, it, It has a right to order its society in the way that it wants. But on the other hand, uh, there is this compassion towards the foreigner. And there also needs to be a recognition for how the way in which you structure your laws may or may not either have been or be fair in such a way as dealing with the uh, human realities that either you have or had. And that's the case with immigration. We passed laws uh, in the 1980s. For years, we blinked and didn't mind having people come in from across the border to do the jobs that we didn't want done. People didn't uh, blink at the at laws being violated, etc. And now we have several generations of people here, whole families that are mixed in their backgrounds, some legal, some illegal. So then the humanitarian and Christian question becomes, what's the best thing to do? And that becomes a more complicated question when you add in all those factors. There's so many things that we can talk about, you know, as uh, Christians and as a church uh, community with your book, because 
I think we like it very cut and dry as Christians to be able to figure out the way that we're going. And, it, and sometimes it feels like we can, you know, no uh, right from wrong. And it seems very, very confusing. And I'm very glad that you wrote this book. Was there anything that was difficult for you when you were thinking of, okay, these are the uh, uh, some of the things Donald Trump has to say, and this seems to align with the Bible. And then we have Hillary Clinton. Uh, was there any confusion for you ever? Well, the book was actually written before the candidates were chosen. The, the manuscript is almost two years old. And, uh, and I wrote it, uh, between the last midterm and really the beginning of this presidential cycle. Uh, and the original title of the book was called Life, Liberty, and Loving Your Neighbor. And the point of the exercise was to suggest that, that these political issues are more complicated and deserve a better conversation than we're getting. The book opens with the theme of gridlock and says a car is a wonderful thing to drive unless you're on a highway with 500,000 friends at the same time. Then it doesn't seem to be able to do what it ought to do. And I compared that to the way our government is working right now, that it's in gridlock. We've lost the ability to talk to one another. We've lost the ability to respect arguments on both sides of the equation. And so I tried to break down those issues where there were legitimate tensions and legitimate things to discuss versus the few cases where everyone knows what to do. They just have no idea how to get there. Racial reconciliation was that category, basically, versus the ones where there really is a significant worldview clash. And and the issues are, at least from a biblical standpoint, are clearer than they are with the bulk of the issues that we debate. And I complain that we tend to treat them all as if they're life and death and biblically clear when in fact some of them are and some of them aren't yes now dr buck i know that you are a professor at uh, dallas theological seminary can i ask are you a prophet too i mean you wrote this book it seems like you wrote this specifically for donald trump and hillary clinton with all the issues uh, were you amazed that you know people were talking about these very issues in lieu of the election well, what I had originally planned to do, this book has been in my back of my mind for about six years. And I was originally going to write it uh, for the last election cycle, presidential election cycle. And I decided, no, uh, that with um, an incumbent president in place, that wasn't necessarily such a good idea that I'd wait until the field was a little more open. But the issues that I wanted to discuss uh, have been with us for a while uh, and really, uh, part of the research was just getting up to speed on kind of where we were at the time that I was writing on some of the points. The original idea of the book was going to be I was going to take an issue and put an elephant and a donkey on the front of the chapter <laughs> and put a check by one and an X by the other, depending on the huh. issue. And as you move through the book, you're going to move back and forth as to which position was closer biblically. But as I did more work, what I decided was is that that would people would get too aligned to the topics by by that kind of soundbite. And so I thought, no, let's step back and think about what's really going on here in terms of the dynamics. And the dynamics that I saw was there are legitimate discussions and tensions that we need to work through in virtually all of these issues that we discuss. Fully 10, I think, out of 13 fall in this tension category that I talked about. And to uh, uh, lay out the tension so that people would sense what needs to be discussed, and then hopefully realize we aren't discussing what we ought to be discussing with each of these issues. People are just simply 
taking sides and cherry picking out of the Bible and thus robbing us of the discussion we need in order to have a better society. Yeah, and I know it gets difficult, too, for Christians, where you have people who are running for president, you know, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, and of course we know the winner, and they may cherry-pick certain <laughs> parts of the Bible and think, okay, that's the real Christian right there. Oh, no, Donald Trump is a real Christian. That can be confusing for people. They really want to align themselves with that uh, more Christian candidate, and it's very difficult. God uses very imperfect people to accomplish his goals. No, that's definitely the case, and we've certainly seen that in this election. You had two candidates running whose negatives were higher than their positives in both cases in terms of how they were perceived. And to some degree, you know, we had people complaining about the candidates that we got, but we're responsible for producing those candidates. And uh, and so, the you know, the onus does eventually fall back on us, and – I suggested in an article I wrote leading up to the election for Christianity Today that part of the problem is is that we've lost our ability to do good values and moral assessment because we've basically let our schooling become about efficiency and business and and preparing people for the business aspects of life and for the skills aspects of life, but we don't talk as much about character as we ought to. And so as a result, we don't think about those aspects of the equation as much as we ought. Yes. And to draw that out just a little further, Dr. Baca, are you surprised or maybe even disappointed that as Christians, sometimes we just go to maybe one or two default areas uh, when it comes to voting, whether it be in a pro-life or uh, are you surprised that we have kind of a limited, this draws us out a little bit more, but uh, do we have the tendency as Christians to just focus on one or two points? Well, in the end, I think a person ends up making a decision about the things that they value the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think a lot of the default positions that we end up in have to do with the issues that are perhaps the clearest um, in terms of, uh, of the biblical commitment. And we tend to land there because it keeps us out of these bulk of ambiguities that we have to face. But the problem that you've got is, is that every one of these issues that we're talking about are big issues. Uh, they impact us significantly in one way or another. And so the choice that we end up making for the one or two things we care about can risk ignoring six or seven or eight other things that are worth thinking about. And that's, that's the problem that you can get into when you become a one or two issue voter. And the, and of course the problem is, is that, um, the vote ends up being problematic because there are things people deeply care, care about where they go, that candidate, even though I'm voting for them, doesn't reflect where I am on that issue. And that leaves a little bit of discomfort. So a lot of people voting for both candidates in this election voted for them despite the fact that there were lots of things that they didn't like about the person they were voting for. And in some cases, a person voted more against someone than for someone. And yes. all that mixes up the way in which someone can claim a mandate from the vote that we got out of this election. Very true. I mean, I know in the past, sometimes elections would be just lost from that conservative vote of, uh, let's just say, pro-life or not pro-life. And uh, now, as you say, it's it's you know much more complicated. Um, what about just you personally, when you think about... Uh, in, I was going to say when you're sleeping or just before you go to sleep, think about how would Jesus vote? I mean, that you must get that all the time in lieu of the title. And uh, do you ever stop to think that uh, is it an impossible thought? 
Well, I, I, again, the issue here is, is thinking through how scripture approaches the array of issues that we're faced with in the modern world and thinking through the values and the ethics that come out of scripture in some cases for uh, policies and issues that are never directly addressed in the text. I mean, again, going back to the gun example, um, you know, there weren't guns at the time at any point in which the Bible was written. Now, there's a lot discussed about violence. There's a lot discussed about the pursuit of peace and reconciliation. That's one of the tensions that I'm talking about. You have the right to defend yourself in Scripture. There's an interesting law in the Old Testament that says, if you kill someone who enters your tent at night, you're not culpable. But if you kill them during the day, you might be because of the way in which uh, violence gets used and the fact that you have the potential, I guess, to identify but the circumstances that you're dealing with, etc. cetera. Uh, and so that shows that the raw choice to use violence is something that Scripture uh, doesn't sanction without qualification. Christians are supposed to be uh, peacemakers and, and seek uh, the best for people, that kind of thing. So the raw use of violence is something Scripture does not uh, accept. On the other hand, it does allow the right for self-protection, allows the government to bear the sword, um, that kind of thing. It uses nations to discipline other nations. And so those are the kinds of tensions that I'm talking about. What ends up being a fair uh, law with regard to the use of violence and the power that that represents and the responsibility that that represents? I compared um, the use of guns as a powerful weapon that can do damage to the, what we require of someone who drives a car. You know that there's an age limit on driving a car, mm -hmm. that you have to pass a test to drive a car because we recognize a car handled irresponsibly can be dangerous. Uh, and so it's just asking questions like that and getting people to think about questions like that that was the point of the book. So to come back to your original question, which I have yet to answer, <laughs> how would Jesus vote? Um, it, I, I think it's, it's a complex question. It sure is. Because you're dealing with um, – with these competing values in a fallen world. And the other thing that I wanted people to get out of the book is a, is a touch of deeper respect for the reason why these things end up being discussed and debated, as opposed to being crystal clear in every case, and to have a sense of the complexity of the political choices that we have and the responsibility that we have as citizens to uh, reflect more deeply on the political choices that we do have and the way we make them. Yes. I mean, just from, you know, an imaginative standpoint, it, it gets my head spinning, really, when I think about how would Jesus vote, just the thought of it, really. I mean, it really does humanize our Lord, you know. The fact is that he, uh, all man, you know, and all God. So, um, Yeah, he did ride a donkey into Jerusalem, but I won't make much of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just between you and I on the campus, okay, at Dallas Theological Seminary, any any fights break out over these some of these topics when it comes to politics and uh, and the Bible or no? Or everyone no, agree fights. on the same I thing? Mean, there was there was there weren't fights. There was you know hefty conversation, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. But uh, no fights. There was I mean there's there was an appreciation for the complexity of what this election offered us that I think uh, people did appreciate, and in that sense it it made. For uh, in many cases, a better dialogue. There also were very real concerns, uh, mm -hmm. the concerns that drive 
any election and any vote uh, concerns, particularly related to issues tied to the church, whether it be uh, issues tied to the court and sexuality or issues tied to issues of choice uh, versus uh, pro-life and issues tied to um, uh, religious liberty and some concerns there. That drove certainly the way a lot of people thought about issues. But then there were equal concerns on the other side in terms of how race had been handled, in terms of how ethnicity had been handled, in terms of how gender had been handled, that made everyone realize this was not, you know, a clean slate choice. No, not at all. In fact, you know, it's scary when you see all the protests that are going on. You know, here I am in Florida. They have some in Miami. And, uh, of course, a more biblical view is... That you know, we're to honor whoever God chooses sovereignly as uh, as president. And if we're fighting and rebelling, are, aren't we kind of fighting against God? Well, the answer is both yes and no. I mean, to the extent that people are are complaining about uh, the exercise of justice and making sure that that people are being treated fairly, I think they have every right in the world to protest, not to break the law, but to protest. I think, on the other hand, there is a desire to give each person who comes into power because of a vote in a democracy the opportunity to govern and have a chance to um, to lead the country in in the way that got them uh, elected and and so you know so we owe someone that opportunity as well if we don't like it. In two and four years, we get another chance to express ourselves. And that's the most effective way to bring about change is to utilize the vote that we all have the privilege of, of exercising. Yes. A lot of people have commented about your book that it champions political and social issues in a way that's judicious, fair and biblical. And um, I think that makes us grow a little bit because a lot of times, and I don't know why, the church doesn't like to talk about politics. No, well, the church is in a difficult position because theoretically, by law, in some ways, it's not allowed to talk about politics as a nonprofit organization that has uh, government protection and has um, uh, gets tax credits for it. So the the religion is supposed to function, at least to some degree, in a nonpartisan kind of way in our society. That gets um, handled in all kinds of interesting ways today. Um, uh, but uh, theoretically, I as a pastor am not supposed to get up in the pulpit and uh, endorse a particular candidate. I can talk about issues. I can talk about justice. I can talk about the ideas that rotate around it. But the idea of giving a political endorsement is something that a nonprofit uh, organization is not supposed to do in our country. Yes. And let me ask you a question in light of everything that's happened so far, you know, with the um, uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, uh, the election, what is one thing that you would include if you had to do it all over again in your book? Ooh, I don't know if there's anything necessarily that I would change. I, I, I do think I made the observation about the way the issues break down Um I saw it a little more clearly in some ways after the book was written, and I probably would have sectioned the book, uh, subsectioned the book more than I did with a section of issues in which there are tensions, issues in which um, in which the direction is agreed upon by both sides, but the path to get there is debated, and then issues in which there really is a, a different worldview that is significantly impacting 
the way in which the issue is even being approached, making conversation particularly difficult. And I really only think there are two issues that belong in that category. Um, uh, the debate that surrounds abortion and the debate that surrounds sexuality and same-sex marriage. Um, I think, uh, as I said, racial reconciliation is something most everyone agrees on should take place, that everyone's made in the image of God. And so the question is how to get there. That's what we wrestle with because our stories are so different. The stories of different races in our country is so different that people don't necessarily have the same experience of America when they utilize that term and thus don't see the needs in quite the same way. And then every other issue, as I tried to show in the book, has this tension in it that needs to be resolved by the way we handle legislation and balance out the tension. Hmm. That's really what we're debating, and that's the debate we rarely have. We basically have two sides picking one half of the tension and parking there and keeping us from thinking through what the relationship between the tensions ought to be. Yes. I mean, that's something that we wrestle with every day, just that tension being in the world and, you know, not of the world as a Christian. And this is not our home necessarily. But, you know, there are a lot of, um, you know, muddy areas that you uh, steer us through. And I'm glad you do it. Uh, I know with Fox News and CNN and all the top, you know, they have some liberal and some conservative. But are you surprised that, you know, first of all, I wonder if they gave you a call, you know, to come on the the panel. But it seems like we can have more of a biblical view on those channels, huh? Yeah, I think that what you see here is this kind of it's one of the things I complain about, that one of the things that's impacted our public debate are these niche news channels, whether it be conservative, liberal or CNN is a mix, but MSNBC tends to the left, Fox tends to the right. People listen to what they want to hear. They don't. They tend to dismiss what's coming from the other side. We never actually have a conversation, and a conversation on some of these areas is what we actually desperately need. I, too, I completely agree. And, you know, I think it was surprising, too, when you look at all the uh, the nasty ads that they had on television, really pointing at the moral character. It's almost kind of funny because both of them are very flawed, you know, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And yet they're pointing that, you know, this one has not the temperament to be president. And this one is a liar. It's almost like, uh, you know, whoever doesn't have any sin, you may cast the first stone. And uh, it's, it seemed like a moot point after a while. Well, both of them were so flawed that the disappointment was is that you didn't get any discussion, at least in a substantive way, of the issues and the way in which they would think about governing. Again, other than kind of sign soundbite answers, that was that was the disappointing part of this election was how little substance there was to the issues and the rationale behind the issues other than keeping it at a very surface and principled level. Now, some of these principles are big differences. There's no doubt about that. And that's what people tended to gravitate towards in ultimately making their votes. But uh, but there also were lots of things that were very much neglected. I can't remember an election where issues of the economy were less directly discussed than this one. Yes, there was discussion of jobs and unemployment and that kind of thing. But the actual nitty gritty of, all right, how are we, what is actually the fix going to look like? Mm. You know, that we didn't get much discussion of at all. There are real issues in relationship to these jobs and the employment uh, concerns that uh, did motivate a lot of people's votes. 
and we have technology replacing the role and the function of a lot of these jobs that we're talking about. And, and so even if you took care of the international trade, you still might not solve the jobs problem by bringing jobs back to America because it might be machines that do those jobs rather than people because it's more efficient for a business to do it that way. That kind of thing. Those issues were never discussed. Yes, I completely agree. I'm surprised, too, because, you know, Hillary Clinton having so much more experience, you would think that uh, she'd have the upper hand in uh, demonstrating that and talking about the issues. Any chance she'll run for president in the future? I think I think her career is over um, uh, because um, because usually when a candidate loses, particularly when she had in many ways every opportunity to win. Um, I think that's the end of her career. I think you're going to see uh, what I think what you're going to see in the Democratic Party is an effort to figure out who should lead them and what kind of politics they should have. And I think what you're going to see in the Republican Party is is a struggle. In fact, you're seeing it in the cabinet choices between what we might call the all out Trumpers and the people who want the uh, Trump administration to reflect a wider swath of the Republican Party. Yes. And Dr. Buck, I got two questions out of one out of that, but I actually asked if you would ever run for president. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite content doing what I'm doing. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't have a, 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 the experience to run, uh, but the only thing I can do and what I would try to do is to help people, at least Christians reflect on the way in which uh, their biblical commitments should be reflective of the way they think about how they carry out their voting responsibilities. Yes, and Dr. Daryl Bach, he's been our special guest. His book is called How Would Jesus Vote? Do Your Political Positions Really Align with the Bible? And so your new position now at Dallas Theological Seminary is? Executive Director for Cultural Engagement. I still uh, I work in the New Testament Department, and, and really part of the goal of the exercise is to show how theology and life intersect in a wide variety of ways and to provide a variety of means to get people to to reflect that as they engage in their lives. Yes, and I know just one last thing. I know Christians, they really want to put their heart out there because they love the Lord. They want to do what's right in His sight and look at the issues. Do you have a plea if you could just uh, talk to you know our, our audience, Christians, uh, for the next uh, election, right. how you would kind of... Yeah. I do. I think the church is actually in a very delicate position right now. Um, a lot of people outside the church, and we should never forget that our ultimate mission is to, is a calling to try and draw people to towards the gospel. Um, I think a lot of people outside the church think that the church supports things that if you said to Christians, uh, do you support that, they would say, no way. Uh, I had a conversation with a leading national pollster a week ago, run, runs a major polling operation in which he said that evangelical Christians are testing out to be racist um, mm. as a result of this election. And I think it would be fair to say that anyone who thinks about the makeup of the church, the multinational nature of the church, the fact that Christ died for the world, et cetera, that's the last thing the church should be labeled as being. So what that means is, is that, uh, the church needs to be a, a third voice in our two-party system and operate as much as possible as a conscience uh, without uh, an excessive party affiliation to be sure that our society is as 
operating in as, as positive a way for the common good as is possible and in ways that are honoring to people uh, and that and that respect their dignity. And uh, when that doesn't happen, the church is going to need to speak out. My hope is, is that people will parse what is happening politically mm-hmm. well enough to distinguish, yes, this is good for our country, we should be behind this, and no, that is not good for our country, we should say no way. Yes, very eloquent indeed. Dr. Daryl Bach and his book, How Would Jesus Vote? Do Your Political Positions Really Align with the Bible? Where can people buy your book? Uh, well, they can buy it uh, anywhere. They can o- certainly order it on Amazon.com. It's available both in hardback and in Kindle. And they can uh, order it through any Christian bookstore. Uh, Howard is the publisher. That's the Christian wing of Simon & Schuster. So it's readily available for anyone who's interested. And the point of the book is it's not. it wasn't about this election. It was about how to think about the issues that are still around and that we're still talking about. And it may also give you a way to think about having conversations with people who you may not politically agree with, but be able to do so in a way that's a little more respectful and engaging so that you have a serious conversation and not a shouting match. I completely agree. You've allowed us to to really think and open up our minds, too, and challenge us. And just to let our audience know, you know, Dr. Bach, you know, you're you're kind of up there at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. Maybe people can uh, check it out. We just put a shout out for that. (laughs) It's a great school, and uh, we appreciate you being on the program. Uh, Thank you for having me anytime.